We're continuing our series on the book of Proverbs this morning. And uh, I want to invite you to give your attention to the reading of God's Word. A reading from the book of Proverbs. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man. In a word in season, how good it is. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. The wise of heart is called discerning, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it is a weighty thing uh, to stand up and speak words after just hearing everything you've said about this. So, Lord, we pray that you would cause your Holy Spirit uh, to work through me, around me, against me if necessary, that we might hear your word and that it might change our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We are now uh, five sermons in in our series on the book of Proverbs, a series that we're calling The Way of Wisdom. And uh, if you haven't been here, just a little quick review. A few of the things that we've seen is wisdom is not about being smart. Wisdom is the skill 
of navigating life well in God's world according to God's word. And wisdom, we're told in the book of Proverbs, begins with the fear of the Lord, where you submit your life to him and he becomes the center of the universe instead of yourself. And as Iron talked about a few weeks ago, uh, wisdom is a path. It's, it's not a doorway, like you get the key, you open it, and you walk in, and you're like, I'm wise, you know, or you can download it from the internet in a millisecond. It's a path that you walk all your life. And as we've been gesturing towards this all along, the best way to stay on that path is to stay near Jesus. Now, the past two weeks, Iron has tackled um, some tough topics. When Proverbs, the wisdom that it gives us on the topics of pride and on the topics of wealth. So you may be tempted to think, glad we got those two out of the way. You know, now we can get into the fun stuff. This morning, we come to the topic of words. Now, I don't think I need to belabor the point too much, but words really matter. And you don't have to be a Christian to recognize this. You just need to be alive. And in fact, there are people who make their living off of words. And I'm not just talking about preachers. I'm talking about those of you who are marketing strategists. You know the significance of words. You know their power. And in fact, I uh, came across a story this week that I found both fascinating and very funny. Uh, Did you know that there was a fish in Chile that no one really wanted to eat for years and years and years. It was called the toothfish. Maybe you can see why that didn't sound so, you know, scrumptious or, or attractive to order at the restaurant. But it got a new name. It became known as the Chilean sea bass. And you know what happened? It got so popular that in 1996, it was put on the critically endangered species list. And in fact, I think remains on the overfished list right now. Or how about this? Have you ever eaten a Chinese gooseberry? I bet you have because it got a new name. And you know what the new name was? Kiwi. And they did this for for marketing purposes and it took off. And and there was some debate about what they were going to call it. Apparently, Harry Berry did not pass their marketing tests. Although that's what it actually is. That's the power of words. But my favorite part of this story was the part about the Canadian rapeseed plant. All y'all just looked up. Yes, that's what it's called, rapeseed plant. Rapeseed oil wasn't very popular in grocery stores, as you can imagine, until they renamed it canola oil. And it's now known as the canola plant. Now get this, there is a town in Canada called Tisdale that grows an abundance of the rapeseed plant. And for 60 years, the town slogan was, the land of rape and honey. (laughs) I kid you not. They finally changed it in 2016 to opportunity grows here. And I'm just going to go ahead and say, I think that was a very wise decision because words are very powerful things. After the topic of wisdom itself, Proverbs says more about our words than it does anything else. And here's why. Because words are enormously powerful. Let's start with a Let's start big with a proverb that's right in the middle of our reading this morning. Proverbs 18, 21. 
Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life. And that's pretty high stakes. Words matter greatly. Or let's look at two other Proverbs, one near the beginning of our reading and one right at the end. The beginning of our reading in chapter 10, verse 19, it says this, When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. And then at the end of our reading, Proverbs 29, 20, Do you see a man who is hasty in words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. If you want to be wise, you have to pay attention to your words. And this is the first thing that I want us to wrestle with this morning. Our words have power to harm and to heal. Now I want you to look at chapter 12, verse 18, printed for you. Because I'm going to use this to structure uh, this point I want to make. This is what it says. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. So you get the imagery? Our, our tongues can pierce like a sword or they can heal like medicine. And we need to meditate on both of those for a few moments. Words have power to do enormous harm. You know the old saying, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? There's another old saying that needs to go right next to it. Liar, liar, pants on fire. That is a big, fat lie. Words can hurt you, and they can hurt others in a ways that sticks and stones never can. Think about the imagery here of sword thrusts. When a sword pierces your body, you can take it out, but there's going to be a wound there, a a painful, bleeding wound. And even if that wound heals up, it's likely going to leave a scar. Some of you are still nursing wounds from words that were spoken to you in your past. You were told you were ugly, you were fat, or you were gross, or you were stupid, or you were annoying, or you were boring. These words have been like verdicts that have passed, been passed over you by someone. And you feel like they begin to define you. And they form and shape your self-understanding. And they actually, it's like they crawl up your back and they whisper in your ear at the worst possible moments. Others of you, you're, you're still dealing with words that you spoke to someone else that wounded them. And you thought maybe time was gonna heal it up, but it hasn't. Or if it has to some degree, there's still a scar. See, words can hurt, and they can damage, sometimes in incalculable ways. But but Proverbs says it's not just harsh words that can harm. There are other categories of speech that can hurt. Gossip, slander, talking behind someone's back. These things can do enormous harm in someone's life. Look at Proverbs 16, verse 28. A dishonest man spreads strife. And a whisperer separates close friends. Ever had that experience in your life? Where some whispering going on actually ruined a relationship that you had with someone. Or how about this? I love this imagery in chapter 26, verse 20. For lack of wood, a fire goes out. 
And where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. I mean, doesn't that image grab a hold of you? Whispering is like wood for the fire. The whispering stops. The fire doesn't burn anymore. But the whisperer is continuing to stack the wood. And the fire burns and burns and burns. And sometimes it can burn a whole house down or even a village. The apostle James uses that imagery in James chapter 3 to talk about the tongue as a spark of fire. Right? They can set a whole village ablaze. Words have power to ruin things. Words can ruin marriages. Words like, I don't love you anymore. Or words like, marrying you was the worst decision I ever made. Or I want a divorce. It's hard to recover from words like that. Words can ruin your relationship with your child. There was a woman who used to attend this church years and years and years ago. And she shared with me a letter that her father wrote her. And after her name, the first line was, I am ashamed of you. It's never recovered. Not yet, at least. Words can ruin friendships. They can ruin relationships of all sorts. And the harmful way we use words is almost limitless. We use, we, with our words, we shame, we humiliate, we demean. With our words, we place crushing expectations on other people. But one of the things that Proverbs points out is with our words, we can even harm ourselves. Look at chapter 13, verse 3. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. You hear what this is saying? It's saying reckless speech leads to ruin. What are we talking about here? Well, how about false promises? Or being the type of person who's always saying like, yeah, I'll do that, right? But you never do. And relationships begin to erode and and fall apart. Or how about this one? Spilling out your feelings with no thought to how that's going to impact another person and saying, but that's, that's vulnerability. That's being authentic. And then you wonder why your relationships seem to crash and burn over and over and over again. Words can bring harm to ourselves when we don't use them wisely. And then, of course, there's chapter 18, verse 6, which is kind of fun to read, but a fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating, right? That's harm to yourself. Words, both the words of others and our own words, have enormous potential to bring harm into our lives. That's what Proverbs says. But the second part of chapter 12, verse 18, is that words not only have the power to harm like the thrusting of a sword, they have the power to heal. The tongue of the wise brings healing. How, how can words heal? Well, think about that, this for a second. When someone says, please forgive me, you might begin to feel like a, a wound is beginning to close up inside of you when you hear those words. Or when someone says, I love you, You might feel like ice just melted off your heart (laughs) and it's soft and accessible again. Or hearing, you did a great job, can overturn years of nitpicking and criticizing and scrutinizing speech that has always made you nervous and anxious about how you're doing. Or when you tell someone, I missed you, you make them feel like they matter, that their absence was noticed. When you say to someone, we love having you around, You're conveying a joy that comes from being in their presence. 
Or, or how about this one? When you encourage someone by saying, you have grown so much, you know what you just did? You gave them the antidote to the poison of fatalism that says, I'm never going to change. Words can heal. Some of, some of you are experiencing this right now. God has put wise friends in your life, and they are speaking wise words to you. And maybe it doesn't happen all at once, but you feel like the wound is beginning to close. You feel like something is beginning to heal inside of you. Words have the power even to overturn verdicts that are passed over us. You know, I, um, a couple, I guess a week and a half ago, I got an email, a uh, very earnest email that was sent to uh, a, number, a number of us in this congregation. And, and in it, it made reference uh, to that scene in Goodwill Hunting. You know the scene? You know the scene, right? And then I'm in a text exchange with this guy, and I get that, a meme with that scene in it. Okay? And then I flew to Salt Lake City, Utah, for a presbytery meeting on Thursday, and I go into my hotel room, and you know what's on? Goodwill hunting, right? And then we're at Presbytery, and there was a lot of tense things going on, and in a conversation, someone made reference to the movie Goodwill Hunting, and I was like, you know what? I'm supposed to use this as a sermon illustration on Sunday. I get it, I get it, I get it. But you know this scene, if you've never seen the movie, Matt Damon is, uh, is just a rough, rowdy character, right? But it turns out he has been viciously and violently abused by his father growing up. And there's that moment near the end of the film where he's with his therapist played by Robin Williams and Robin Williams is looking at the pictures in his profile and he looks at Will and no one can touch Will. He can outsmart everybody, but he looks at Will and he says, Will, it's not your fault. Will's like, I know. He's like, Will, it's not your fault. And he says, I know. And he moves closer to him. He says, Will, it's not your fault. And Will says, don't mess around with me, and pushes him. And he finally closes right inside him, and he says, son, it's not your fault. And at that point, Will breaks into sobs and grabs a hold of him. And I mean, I'm telling you, you could watch that scene ten times in a row back to back, and you'll cry every time. Why? Because verdicts were being overturned by words. Words can even bring hope and comfort into anxious hearts Chapter 12, verse 25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. You see, this is what Proverbs means when it says death and life are in the power of the tongue. Words have the power to harm and they have the power to heal. Words have consequences. So how do we learn to use them to heal and not to harm? And this is the second thing we need to talk about. Using our words to heal requires wisdom. If the tongue of the wise brings healing, that means wisdom changes how we use our words. And Proverbs spends a ton of time describing the kind of words that we need to hear and the kind of words that we need to say if we're going to be wise. And I want to break this down for you just with in th- three little categories, okay? Truth, tone, and timing. That's what characterizes wise speech according to the Proverbs. So let's talk about truth first. 24.6 says, whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. And then in 26.28, a lying tongue hates its victims and a flattering mouth works ruin. Wise words are truthful words. 
And telling the truth is all about matching our words to reality. When our words don't match outward reality, we call it a falsehood. When our words don't match inward reality, we call it deception. But both are examples of not telling the truth. And both destroy relationships and community. And you know why? Because they rob us of the right to know reality. Think of all the breakdowns that result when words don't match reality. Governments get unstable when people no no longer believe what they're hearing. Business dealings fall apart when words between the parties aren't reliable. Friendships implode when you can no longer trust what the other is saying. And of course, families, they they are often devoured by the absence of truthful and honest speech. Uh, There was a woman who uh, died of cancer in 2005. Her name was Marjorie Williams. Some of you may be familiar with with who she was. Um, She was a longtime columnist for the Washington Post and Vanity Fair. And uh, after she died, uh, her husband posted a number of her writings that were never published before. He, he, he published them posthumously and made them into a book called The Woman at, Washing, at the Washington Zoo. And this is what she writes in one place in that book. I was raised in a family full of lies. A rich, entertaining, fi- well-elaborated fivesome that flashed with competition and triangles and changing allegiances. That my parents divided me and my sisters up between themselves and schooled us in scorn for the other team, that was never acknowledged. But it married me for life to the longing to know what was real. And then another place, she writes about how hard it became living in her mother's house during that season. And she says, you could eat at her table every night and never once taste the thing that you were really hungry for. What is William saying? She's saying we hunger for truthful words. Without them, we actually, it's like we're starving to death inside. And even when the words that we hear are nice, okay, not like harsh, but they're nice, but they're mere flattery and do not match reality, right? Those kind of words, they may make you a lot of money. They may smooth things over by avoiding hard conversations. They might even get you to a place of importance and recognition in your life. But it will create an environment of emotional and spiritual starvation in a soul. We need honest, truthful words. We need to hear them, and we need to say them. If we don't hear them, we'll be starving for reality in our lives. And if we don't say them, we will be starving others. Now, I know that some of you right now, you're you're cheering on the inside. Because you're saying, yes, this is what I've said all along. Tell it like it is. Because you're a very direct person and speaking your mind comes really easy to you. But I got some bad news. Because according according to Proverbs, telling the truth is not enough. Wise speech is not just about the truth. It's also about tone. And that's the second part of this is, Our our tone actually matters if we're going to be wise with our words. Look look at um, 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Question, how many conflicts that escalate exponentially involve harsh words? 
All of them, every single one that exponentially escalates involve harsh words. Like this is how it works. You may be telling someone the truth or they may be telling you the truth, but the tone does the damage and it keeps the truth from doing the healing. Welcome to my life, okay? Hear what I mean. Welcome to my home where I can say things out of irritation and I hurt my wife or my children. Even if what I said was technically true. Welcome to my ministry where I can drop a truth bomb on somebody with no regard to how I'm sounding or saying it. And it always ends up in a mess. Wisdom calls us to tend to our tone, not just the truth. Now, let me, be, let me be clear here. It's not saying like all our speech has to be weak and mousy, okay? In, in 25.15, it says a soft tongue can break a bone. It's powerful. It's talking about words that are clothed with tenderness, kindness, and love. Right? Those of us who are pros at being direct, we need to ask ourselves this one question. Are we saying this for our benefit or for theirs? I mean, really, if you say things just to get it off your chest, you'll almost never have the right tone. If you speak truthful ways that, truthful, you know, things to someone in ways that are insensitive and callous, you will not be hurt. Our words are supposed to be for the benefit of the hearer, not just the benefit of the speaker. And that means we have to tend to how we say it, how it will be heard. 1621 says, sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. If you have some truth for someone, something they need to hear, you have to consider your tone. And you can't fake it. People, people sniff that out in a millisecond. It's called manipulation. Like, oh, I'm going to use this very soft voice and everything. It's like, you are trying to just hammer me like a war club, you know, is, is some of the imagery that we get here. The only way truthful speech can be truly sweet is if it is spoken in love. That's what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4.15. Speak the truth in love. We need both, right? Some of us, we consider ourselves very loving people, but we're afraid to speak the truth, which isn't really all that loving. Others of us, we pride ourselves in being truth tellers, but we don't know how to love. We speak our mind for our own sake. And that's why truth telling, our truth telling, often alienates and damages. It's like two wings on an airplane, right? If you're missing one, you're going down. It's crash and burn, and there's going to be bodies all over the place. Truth without love is brutal, but love without truth is sentimentality. If you take this together, what Proverbs is teaching us, your words actually begin to become gracious, and gracious words are like a honeycomb, is what 1624 says. Wisdom calls us to speak the truth in love, which means we need to pay attention not just to the truth, but to our tone. But there's a third aspect, and I think it's the one that we maybe forget most often. And that is timing. 1523, to make an apt answer is a joy to a man. And a word in season, oh, how good is that? 
See, it is possible to say the right thing and even say it in the right way, but at exactly the wrong time. Let me give you a couple examples. You know the phrase, everything happens for a reason. I'd want to tweak that a little bit, but it is in a certain sense true. And you could say that to someone who is grieving a substantial loss. And it would be true, and you could be kind in the way that you verbalize it, but it is not the right time. It's not the right time. It's time, as Proverbs would say, to close your mouth and to open your tear ducts and spread wide your arms and grieve with the suffering. Or think about uh, those who struggle with depression. How often are unwise things said to people who are struggling with depression? Not because they're not true and not because their tone is off, but because it's just not the right time. It's it's, It's out of season at the moment. And wisdom is meant to help us know what season it is. A few years ago, um, I'm in this pastor's group that meets together every year. We've done it for 20 years. Um, And one of the guys in in my my group had two suicides in his church one month apart. Absolutely horrible, horrible, horrible situation. And the congregation was reeling. And one person in the congregation confronted my friend and said, you need to preach a sermon on the evils and horrors of suicide. My friend looked at him and said, this is not the time for that. See, wisdom thinks about words not just in terms of their truth and not just in terms of their tone, but in terms of their timing. It calls us to pay attention to all three And one of the concerns that we should have when we use our words is, will they be able to hear this right now? You know, putting all all this together um, reminds me of a story I heard about an African-American minister who uh, died probably 20 or so years ago, but for many years pastored the largest African-American church in the United States, in Los Angeles. And uh, when his wife died in 1987, he spoke at her funeral, and he told a story Uh, from early on in their marriage. It's a very gripping story. His wife was from a very wealthy family, and she had had all sorts of suitors pursuing her, trying to win her over to marry her, uh, who had all kinds of money and uh, all kinds of clout. But she ended up marrying him, who was a poor preacher. And so early on in their marriage, uh, he comes home one day from work and he walks in the door and there's candles everywhere. And he's like, what is this? (laughs) And she says, I thought we could have dinner by candlelight tonight. And he's like, all right. So he goes into the bathroom to wash up, flips on the light and nothing happens. He's like, "That's, that's weird. So he walks out into the hallway and flips on the light, and no light comes on in the hallway. Goes and checks the breakers, nothing's wrong. And he goes back, and he says, what is going on here? And his wife breaks down in sobs and says, I know you work so hard, and I'm so proud of how hard you work. 
but we don't have enough money to pay the electric bill. And so the power company has turned off our lights. So I thought, let's have dinner by candlelight. And this man at her funeral said, she could have ruined me at that moment. She could have said, I could have married so-and-so. He'd keep the lights on. I could have had a different life, but I chose you. But instead, she said, honey, let's eat by candlelight tonight. That's the power of a well-timed word. All right, so here it is. Wise use of our words. If we want to use our words to heal instead of harm, we got to attend to truth, tone, and timing. But I think every one of us, we're squirming, right? (laughs) Because we know we're not very good at this. It feels like our tongues are broken, that they don't work right, and they need to be healed. So how does that happen? And here's the third and last thing I want to talk about. The healing of our tongue begins with the healing of our hearts. Notice Proverbs 16, verse 23. A wise man's heart guards his mouth. Jesus himself connects with this theme in Matthew 12, verse 34. We had, a, uh, we had that for our confession. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know what Proverbs is saying? You know what Jesus is saying? It's the answer to the question, where do our words come from? They come from our hearts. And they actually reveal our hearts. Words are an index to our heart. You want to know what's in a book? Look at the index. You want to know what's in someone's heart? Look at their words. Even if someone is deceiving you with their words, it indicates a deceptive heart, a heart that wants to hide And we have to dig down beneath our words into our hearts. And let me tell you what this means. It means it was not your noisy children that made you say that. It was your heart. It was not that social media post that made you post that social media post. It was your heart. It was not the person who pulled out in front of you in, in traffic that made you say that. It was your heart. It was your heart. Because words come from the heart, and they reveal hearts. Now, you know, it's interesting because, well, what about when you, when you have to say, like, I didn't mean the things I said to you. I was tired, you know. We were cranky. We were hangry. You know, I didn't mean the things I said. But even then, the heart is still revealed. You know what's being revealed? In that moment, I wanted to hurt you, so I said what wasn't true. Or, in that moment, I just wanted to win. So I said what I knew would help me win. The heart is revealed. Even when we misspeak and it kind of comes out wrong, guess how that gets cleared up? With words that clarify intentions and reveal the heart. Because words reveal hearts. Which means you can't fix your mouth And I can't fix my mouth without tending to the heart. And one of the Proverbs is not printed for you, but it's chapter 4, verse 23. It says, the heart is the wellspring of life. Guard it. And here lies the big problem. The real reason that we can't heal our tongues is because none of us can heal our hearts. And the reason that we use our words 
to deny, to blame, to accuse, to defend ourselves is because our hearts are filled with self-absorption and self-promotion and that's never going to change until they are cleansed and they are filled with something else. And this is where God brings us good news. Words spoken to us. Words spoken over us. And the gospel is all about the healing of hearts. You know, one of the promises in the Old Testament is the promise of the new covenant. And you know what's one of the things that's at the heart of the new covenant? New hearts. You can read about this in Ezekiel 36 or Jeremiah 31 or Jeremiah 33. And you know what we do every single Sunday? Is we celebrate the culmination of the new covenant in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Forgiveness of sins which means forgiveness for the way we use our words and the healing of our hearts. The healing of our hearts happens through the death and resurrection of Jesus for us. He is the only one with a clean mouth because he's the only one with a clean heart. Hear how Peter puts it in 1 Peter chapter 2. Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued to trust in himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Friends, that is good news for people like you and me. Because of Jesus, we get a new word spoken over us. Accepted, righteous, received. And man, that that begins to press in two directions. All the untrue things ever said about us are swallowed up by his divine pronouncement over us that we are accepted in love. And even even the true things that are said about us are swallowed up by him too. Because he went to the cross for us, and by his wounds we are healed. Hearts cleansed, it's cleansed filled with something new. You know what's fascinating? One of, one of the threads throughout the whole Bible is about tongues. In Genesis chapter 11, you have the story of Babel. You know what that story's about? About a people whose hearts were filled with self-absorption and self-advancement. And God comes in to deal with all that. And their words become caustic and they drive each other apart from one another. But then you have the story of Pentecost after Jesus has died and been raised. And he pours out the spirit and the spirit falls on the people and their hearts are filled with something else. The sacrificial love of Jesus. And out of their mouths come new words that draw people together. See, most of us want to use our words to gain power over others or try to defend ourselves or to make life go the way we want it to go for us. But Jesus says, I have used my power for you. I've already given my final verdict over you, righteous love delighted in, and now I want you to use your words to heal others. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament about this is Ephesians 4.29. And most of us think it's a, it's, it's a verse about don't say bad words, but that's not what it's about. It says, let no corrupting speech come out of your mouth. And you know what corrupting speech is? It's speech that tears down, that hurts. 
And the second half of it is, but instead use words to build up that it might give grace to those who hear it. That's the pattern of Jesus. That's following in the footsteps of Jesus. And you know what's crazy? If words reveal hearts, these words reveal God's heart. And not just in more words, but in the word made flesh. That's what Jesus is called. Jesus reveals the Father's heart. When you have been healed by Jesus' word and his work for you, then you can start using your words to help and heal others. You're filled up with the sacrificial love of Jesus. But it's not going to be easy, and it won't always feel great, and you're not going to always do it right. But you know what it will be? It will be wise. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and the way that it speaks so specifically to our lives and applies with such particularity. Lord, we desperately need you to heal our hearts. Cleanse us, make us new, and fill us up with the sacrificial love of Jesus that, that our speech might be wise. And God, I just pray that today you would be working in us, maybe in those places where we are reluctant to go and say words that need to be said. Words like, please forgive me, or words like, I forgive you. Lord, would you help us to have the wisdom to know and to navigate the truth, tone, and timing of our words. But would you be at work to heal our hearts and heal the relationships that have been broken by our words or by the words of others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.